a dating and makeover expert where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. In theory, the whole concept of complete surrender and love sounds really romantic and blissful. It's kind of like a Disney cartoon where the prince meets the princess for the first time and they fall head over heels in love at first sight, of course. And she surrenders by allowing him to scoop her up on his white horse as they ride into the sunset and live, of course, happily ever after. I mean, if we could only create love that way, right, by surrendering, if it was that easy, as the princess did. Um, And this is particularly true, by the way, when you are dating someone new or in a young relationship. I mean, after all, doesn't it feel amazing to give more than is required of you when you are madly in love and when you can completely let go and enjoy the honeymoon phase of courtship? So much so, and here's the problem, that you might lose yourself in the adrenaline rush like a drug And might even overlook some of the red flags or negative emotions that could be there because you surrendered to what the other person wants, right? Not of yourself, but what the other person wants or compromise your needs to sustain the high of the bliss. And I see this happen a lot. But the truth is, is that surrendering isn't about losing yourself. It's and, And becoming something that you are not. In fact, it's just the opposite. Surrendering to true love demands paying attention to your own moods, your own emotions, your own needs and thoughts. So if you tend to be an overgiver, a people pleaser, or an over-accommodator, and I see you a lot, by the way, (laughs) you may think that being nice or pushing down your needs and emotions is going to make your date or your partner happy. That is what I call shape-shifting. And you've heard me talk about this on the podcast a lot because it's becoming what you think the other person wants of you rather than expressing what you want and showing people who you are. Or on the flip side, and here's how it also can play out, you have difficulties relinquishing control in fear of losing yourself or not being good enough. So you try to gain power and manage your anxiety by overproducing your relationship and dating life. Does this sound familiar? Or trying to be perfect. But whether you're a shapeshifter or a perfectionist, it doesn't really matter. When you drop your defenses and you let go of the outcome, that is the true surrender that will create real love by being your authentic self and attracting more reciprocal relationships. One of the more powerful stories I want to share with you before I bring my guest on, my powerful guest on, it's a client who truly surrendered to find love. Um, And this was years ago. Gosh, she picked up the phone and it had been 23 years since she had dated and she was just going through the motions and working and taking care of her kids. And that was her life. And she got to the point where she was so fed up, she surrendered and she called me up and she said, Kimmy, I'm at my wits end. If I don't do something now, I never will. So she gave me her credit card and she said, I'm, I'm going, I'm going big. I'm going big and I want to do it all. So she came and she did an intensive with me where those of you who know me, I do like makeovers. I did a styling session. I did a wing gal session where I taught her how to flirt and go out into the field. We did deeper coaching. And because I'm a therapist, of course, we we got to the root of a lot of the problems. And here's the thing that showed up the minute I said hello to her was how much she was giving her power away. She kept saying, I'm sorry for no reason. She kept excusing some of her behaviors as she was telling her story. And here's the thing is that she was married to a narcissist and her father was a narcissist. So she kept giving her power away to men, right? So she was attracting that. And there she was just kind of scared to move forward and attracting that again. So I believe in working from the outside in, because in this case, I could have sat down and did some cognitive therapy with her, but that's not what she needed. She also had extreme body image issues and she didn't see herself as beautiful. So I had to get her to see herself beautiful. And so 
we, we first go shopping and we walk towards the department store and she just starts bawling. And I said, what's up? And she says, I, I'm so sorry, but there's something I didn't tell you. I cover my mirrors at home and I haven't seen myself in the mirror in 10 years. Whoa. Right. Like I said, okay, look, I get that. And thank you for sharing that with me. And again, if I was a therapist, maybe we worked through that, but I, I held her hand. She surrendered and I brought her through the store and I said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to put on this jacket. I want to, I want you to put on these boots and I want you to give me five seconds in the mirror. That's all. So she twirls around like Cinderella and she looks in the mirror and it's like three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And she just kept staring. And I said, wow, what's going on? Because her, her eyes were te- you know, tearing up again. She said, Kimmy, I've never seen myself so beautiful. And we both start crying. And then I created a monster, quite honestly, because then we started skipping through the store and we were going shopping. She was like changing with the door open. I mean, talk about surrender, right? And from there, we did a photo shoot. She saw herself as beautiful. She put the pictures online. When she went back, she started dating up a storm and boom, it happened. She met the love of her life. Now, I I make it sound like another Disney you know, cartoon, but the truth of the matter is it all started with surrendering and how she saw herself and really like moving into this like beautiful woman, owning that piece of her, surrendering to her fears. And it created a healthy love with her man. And what, and he was not a narcissist by the way, which was great. So if you want to inspire your love life to a higher level, to enjoy joy, and peace like never before that demands total surrender. And there is no better leader to help me talk about this stuff than this incredible guest I have with me today. And he is a beloved, inspirational speaker, transformational leader, teacher. He speaks at countless events he organizes around the world, as well as outside events, including AFEST, Young Presidents Organization, Entrepreneurs Organization. He is a member of Transformational Leadership Council, a select group of 100 of the world's foremost authorities in the personal development industry, winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award. He is widely considered a next generation leader in the field of personal development, and you'll hear why. His mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet, to assess assess inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. Welcome, Coot Blackson. Thanks for having me. Thanks oh, my gosh. I love that. Wow, what a, what a rousing sermon. I know, I serve it. Well, I'm like, well, gosh, I mean, I, I, to live up to to all your beautiful sermons, you know, I I, I wanted to really set the tone because I, I love this new book that you have coming oh, out, awesome. The Magic of Surrender. And just that word is so powerful. And in relation to what I do with people and love and what you do with people. So I was, I was excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I, I'd love to hear about, because I don't know, I know some of you, obviously what's in your bio, but I don't know. Oh all of you. Like, I, I'd uh, love to hear your, your kind of personal journey and story yeah. and how you got here. Yeah. Wow. Um, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's <clears throat> Japanese. I grew up in London uh, from, from three to 18. We had to flee Ghana because of a bloody political coup. Uh, and I've been living in the U.S. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world, you know. And for me, I was always a very empathetic kid and so I felt people suffering very deeply and there was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate people's suffering in some way and I didn't know what that, what that would look like and so uh, as a kid felt people deeply but I grew up in a kind of uh, mystical environment I mean people say it's unusual but for me it didn't feel that unusual um, it just felt normal to me my first memories as a young boy was literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor, she picks up the sand and this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see, deaf people hearing. The same man who essentially picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. 
stand up and he put his hands on them and they would stand up. And so, uh, you know, incurable diseases being cured. This man was my father. He built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He built a huge church in London, about 5,000 people every Sunday. He was a very spiritual, metaphysical, mystical kind of teacher, less traditional religion. So I was blessed to grow up in this mystical, spiritual environment. And so, you know, when I was age eight, my, my speaking career began at age eight because I was thrown into my father's audience and 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 he t- he said, speak. And that began my speaking. And at 14, I was ordained as a minister. I was given the, the, the she would say the mandate to take over my father's organization, which was a big deal. But I knew in that moment at 14 that I wanted to help people. I wanted to impact people. I started reading all of these self-help books from a lot of the the motivational self-help icons, the Eastern mystics, the Western mystics, everyone from Krishnamurti, Osho, uh, Ramana Maharishi to Blavatsky to Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Marianne Williamson. And so I became obsessed with this field of spirituality and personal, personal development. And And I felt this calling that I wanted to go into this field. The challenge was my whole life was set out for me. And I knew that that wasn't my path. My fear was if I dared to be myself, if I dared to speak my truth, if I dared to tell my father that I don't want to take over his ministry, that I would be alone, that I would be outcast, that I'd be, you know, abandoned, I'd be, you know, left behind by the entire community. And I think many of us, we allow fear to hijack us. We allow fear to stop us from truly being who we really are and doing what we're meant to do in this lifetime. And so for four years, I said nothing and and went into a deep process of of questioning and soul searching and turmoil and depression and conflict. And when I was 18, I had to make some decisions. And this is, I think, also where my life began. I looked into my future and I chose not to go to university. I wanted to help people with life. So I figured if I want to help people with life, I have to live life. And so uh, I felt this incredible calling to come to America. I felt an incredible calling. And sometimes what your soul calls you to do doesn't always make sense to your logic or your mind. And it's certainly not convenient. And so I felt this calling, come to America, go to California, go to Los Angeles. This is where all of the authors live. Go find them, go meet them, go study with them, go into that field. And um, I knew no one, didn't come from a wealthy family, no college degree, I'm like, prospects don't sound good. And so I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path, the path that everyone expected. And, and I could be successful following my father's path, but realized pretty quickly, you can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not, living someone else's life. And no matter how successful I became following this path and the whole sort of platter was laid out before me. What kind of success is it if I don't have myself, if I don't have my truth, if I don't respect myself, if I don't have my integrity? And so it felt like a soul suicide following this path as I projected into the future, age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, my soul just died. And I felt the pain of that. And the pain of, I didn't, I didn't distract from the pain. I just felt the pain of that. And it was, it was so intense that I knew what I had to do. And for me, that was speaking to my father. That was uh, owning my life, speaking my truth. And that's where the transformation began because my father was an iconic old school kind of guy, someone you don't really speak to, someone I put on a pedestal. And so I knew it would break his heart. It broke my heart to break his heart, but, uh, it felt like I didn't have a choice if I was going to truly live the life I was meant to. And so I was terrified, uh, full of fear. You know, sometimes people say you got to get rid of fear, be fearless. I was full of fear and did it anyway. And cut a long story short, we didn't speak for about two years after that, which was really, really heartbreaking. Um, But it felt right. And cut a longer story short, Uh, I was in this zone of, and I really believe that when you follow your soul and when you surrender to whatever your deepest truth, authentic truth is, even if it doesn't make sense to your mind, when you surrender truly and you don't compromise your knowing for nothing, no matter what, I believe your soul will always guide you on the right path and you will always end up in the right place, even if it doesn't make sense in that moment. And so uh, I ended up winning. 
a green card in the green card lottery that then, which was crazy, literally American wow. government gives away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. And that is what enabled me to come to the US. Uh, two suitcases, 18 years old, two suitcases, $800 in my pocket. Knew no one in the country, just showed up and found the teachers and found mentors and found many of these authors I'd been reading about, studied with, went to their seminars. And then as a few years uh, went by, I got to a point where I really, I felt like I wanted to know truth for myself. I was tired of just reading about someone else's experience. I wanted to know what truth was. I wanted to know the nature of reality. I wanted to know about faith and about trust and about surrender and about knowing and about truly like, who am I really? And so that took me on a quest at a very young age too. I went and ended up going to Israel, studied with rabbis, you know, Thailand, studied with monks, you know, Bali and, and, and South America, studied with shamans, ended up in India, which had a huge impact on my life, studied with mystics and monks and sages. And it was out of that, that I felt such a tremendous freedom that I ended up coming back to America and, you know, working with one person one-on-one -on -one, and then one person came and got transformed and had no idea what I was doing. And the next person came and their life transformed and another referral started coming in. And over the years, in those beginning stages, people started coming from around the world to work with me. And I created a specific way of coaching people. This was like 20 years ago, a specific way of coaching people that was less about coaching and more about uncoaching people, untraining mm. people, unconditioning yeah. people from the patterns of conditioning that we accumulate from childhood and throughout our entire lives. And, you know, I really believe that who we are is already whole, perfect and complete, but we get conditioned. So I created this process of uncoaching, unconditioning, untraining people. And my one-on-one, -on -one, you know, practice just kind of exploded and blossomed and that grew into small groups and large groups and seminars and writing books. And, you know, my first book, You Are the One and my new book, The Magic of Surrender. So that, that's a, a nutshell. of my That's story. all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, that's an incredible story. And there's so much to unpack in that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and by the way, I love this like uncoaching kind of philosophy. It's funny because I call myself a strategic, like strategist these days, mm -hmm. more than a coach or a therapist, because I believe it's just breaking bad habits, yeah. right? Like we all develop patterns over time. And at what point do we just institute new strategies to get new habits, you know, and I just simplify it. And it sounds like you do too. I actually, I want to touch upon what you talked about, that fear factor that happened, you know, when yeah. you were young and facing your father and then scary. moving. I mean, it's so scary. And, and you kind of alluded to this too. I, I feel like that's when we all leap. That's when we all shift is when something scares us and makes us a little uncomfortable. I always tell people move towards it, not away from it, because that's mm -hmm. what causes the change. But I wondered, like, did you ever want to give up when you were in that fearful state? Because I can hear people listening to this and be like, well, easy for him. He's this like thought leader and all of that jazz. And he had, the, tell you, you know, how I, I, I wanted to give up all the time. I wanted to give up when I was 14. Um, and my life was set out for me. I didn't know if I would have the strength. I felt this vision and I felt this calling and I felt like I would see myself in America. Like I would sneak into my father. We lived behind my father's church because we didn't have that much money. And I would right. sneak into my father's church with the lights off in the pitch black. And I would literally imagine this 10, 11 year old kid, right? 11 to 18. Every night I would speak to the empty chairs, imagining myself giving seminars to thousands of people in America, right? I was, I was imagining I was in hotel rooms and ballrooms. And so I, I felt this calling and I didn't know how I was going to get there. It didn't make any sense. I knew no one in America. And so there were many times, even in that stage, that I wanted to give up. I didn't know if I would have the strength to face my father. I didn't know if I would have the strength to come to America. I didn't know how I would do it. No, I, if I'm not going to university, I have no specific skill, I have no money, I have no connections, I no idea. And so there were many times I just wanted to call it a day. There was one, one time I was, I think 16, 17 years old, and I kind of quit. I just said, you know what? I'm just going to, it was a summer vacation. I'm going to just get a job in, in London and just live here and work here and you know, figure it out. And something in my soul, something in my being 
just wouldn't let me. Something wouldn't let me. And I think one of the, the greatest pains we have as human beings is to feel our potential, to feel that knowing, to feel that calling inside of us and to suppress that and to deny that and mm. to distract from that and to not express, at least move in the direction. And so there were many moments I wanted to give up even up until that point. And then coming to the US as an 18 year old kid with $800 knowing no one in the country, literally not one person was dropped off in Venice Beach on a Sunday in, in you know, 20, 20 some years ago in Venice Beach. It, it was pretty crazy at that moment. Oh God, and totally. so I cried for about six months, the first six months, because I felt so alone. So here I am following my dream. Here I am following my calling. And I have no money. I am literally living in a shoebox apartment in Koreatown, stealing food, stealing food from supermarkets just to eat. I pulled uh, a mattress out of the trash that someone threw out so I could sleep on, wondering what the hell am I doing? What the hell am I doing? And then I cried every day. Every day I wanted to go back. Every day I wanted to, to return home. Every day I wanted to go back to the safety. And I called my mother and I would cry. And as much as my mother loved me and wanted me back, she kept pushing me forward. And something like something wouldn't let me. It was like my it, to me, that was a surrender because on one level I wanted to give up. But there was a deeper part of me in my soul that that knew that I had to persevere. And so for me, it was literally just taking it one day at a time, mm. one day at a time. And even if it, it and even though it was difficult, even though it was hard even though I question myself a lot. Sometimes people think that when you find your purpose, life is easy. You know, the, the whole universe opens up and the unicorns and everyone starts, you know, the, the synchronicity of the universe. Just, I actually believe that sometimes when you find your purpose, that's when the real challenges, the real tests, the real difficulties begin. And many times people give up in that moment when they don't realize that what they are going through is the soul preparation. You're going through the soul test that really is about the the universe preparing you to cultivate the mental, the emotional, the physical, the psychic, the spiritual muscles so that you can be toned and spiritually fit and so that you can develop the soul force to be able to fulfill your mission and your vision. And so just because it looks like things aren't happening or things aren't going according to plan or you're faced with challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge, that doesn't mean you're on the wrong path. And if you really, to me, this is where surrender is so important. If you really truly feel that you are on an authentic path, not someone else's path. You know, when you're following someone else's path, doing what you think you should do, doing what society tells you to do, doing what social media tells you to do, doing it because other people are doing it, you're going to give up for sure. Because sometimes success is challenging. And if, ever, and if it was completely easy, Everyone would be doing it. But when you follow your soul and there is that undeniable knowing in your soul, to me, that for me gave me the strength to keep going because I knew I knew this was my guidance, mm. even though it didn't make sense. I knew it was my guidance. It wasn't because my mother or my father told me. And I also when I won that green card to me out of the middle of nowhere, like I won this freaking green card. To me, that was also the universe yeah. supporting me. And that was a clue, like, wait a second, that didn't happen by accident. And so there were these little clues that gave me the courage to just put one more step, put another step, put another step. And so for me, I just focused on doing what I could. And then even then, honestly, over the years, there's been many, many, many moments, even building my co coaching business and building my coaching practice where I faced challenges, I uh, went through ups and through downs and I wanted to give up and I felt like it was too hard. And yet, because the desire was authentic, because yeah. the, the desire was true, because the motivation was pure, that's what kept me going. I never went into this industry for business or for money. For me, it was a calling and that calling is bigger than your circumstance. That calling is bigger than your situation. Because it was a calling, I could, I could, like literally, I couldn't give up. Because it was a calling that was connected to my soul, that's what pulled me through. And so I would really invite each person to really tap into their calling. You see, when things don't manifest or when things don't 
happen and we want to give up. It, it, many times it means, number one, the vision or the goal that you set for yourself is not the authentic vision or goal that is truly aligned with your highest soul's destiny. We might be just doing what we think we should be doing based on our conditioning. And many times we set goals and, and our goals we think that's what we want, but it's just what we thought we wanted based on who we think we are. And many times our goal, and when we achieve it, we're like, mm, this is not really authentically what I want, because often our goals can sometimes be projections of unmet needs from childhood. Dad wasn't around. I wasn't validated. Yeah. I didn't feel lovable. But if I can get that body, get that guy, get that girl, get that Lamborghini, make, you know, have enough Instagram followers, win that Then I'll be day. happy. <laughs> then I'll be enough, right? Yeah. And, it's not fulfilling and you will lose motivation. So when things don't happen, it first thing it might mean is what you think you want is not what you really want. It's just what you think you want. And so I think it's important that we then step back, not give up, but step back and reevaluate a deeper goal, a deeper intention as to what's truly authentic. Because for me, it was authentic. I couldn't give up, you know, because it was, it was truly authentic. I felt like it was bigger than me. It was bigger than my personality. It was bigger than my momentary like mood. And that's what kept me going. The second thing is when things don't happen or when things don't manifest and you feel like giving up, it might mean it's just not timing yet. It's just not the mango isn't ripe. The fruit isn't ripe yet. That's all. It's just not time. And sometimes we want what we want when we want. We want that relationship when we want the relationship and we want it now. But maybe... Maybe your person isn't ready yet. Maybe there's a whole host of events in the, in the universe that still need to come together. Yeah, as you're swiping on Tinder, you know, swiping, swiping. Trying to make it happen, <laughs> trying to force it to no, happen. No, 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 no. Uh, it has to be now, you know? And, yeah. and so sometimes we have to trust the divine timing yeah. of the universe. Everything has a season. Everything has a cycle. Everything is really for a reason, even if we can't see it right now. And so if things aren't happening in the timing that we, we want and we're about to give up, then we need to step back for a moment. Be patient. But in that time of waiting, that doesn't mean do nothing. That means cultivate yourself. That means prepare yourself. That means educate yourself. That means get the coaching, get the guidance, get the makeup. But, you know, make sure that you are becoming the most magnificent expression of yourself possible at the highest level so you can vibrate at the highest frequency possible. The third thing is, if things aren't happening, you want to give up. Here's where a lot of people miss the boat. When things don't happen, sometimes you feel like giving up. It might mean that you have not learned the lesson, the soul lesson, that you need to learn where you are at with who you are with. And what we tend to do in that moment, and we are all souls having a human experience, and we incarnate into this human domain, into this school of life in order to learn to go and evolve. And to me, if life is a school, then every situation, every experience, every relationship is part of our soul's curriculum. And so... There is an evolutionary learning opportunity in every moment. And so many times when things don't happen, we try to push and force it to make it happen. And, and trying to force something to be doesn't necessarily make it so. Rather than forcing, I invite each person to look at life from a soul perspective and ask themselves, hmm, things are manifesting. My partner isn't showing up. My soulmate isn't showing up. My dream isn't happening. What is it that I need to learn? right now in this situation? What is it that my soul hasn't learned yet? What is it that my soul needs to learn? What is it that I need to resolve within myself on a soul, spiritual level? Because all lessons are repeated until learned. And when we learn the lesson where we are with who we're with, we, that is the key to unlocking the lock to the next level of manifestation in our life. And so those are a few things I would say. Oh, just a few. <laughs> do you see, do you hear y'all listening to this? Why he's the next like it thought leader in personal development. That was just amazing. Um, wow. You know, the, the things that you extracted right now, just in ways of like getting over fears and, and, and leaping and reasons why you might not be doing it. Some of the things that I heard you say really are powerful. I mean, one thing, even as that little scared boy, you you just saw it like you use that visualization and you, and you saw yourself in a different setting in a different way as a leader and i think just and obviously all this research is done on how powerful we all are when we create our own stories in that way right so like yes. that that was the first thing and then the other thing was your belief in yourself 
right? Like you, even when other people didn't, even when your father wanted something different, even when you had everything around you saying no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you said yes. You, you said, it said, no, this is, and there's times that were really tough, but you still persevered because you had that fundamental, I think, belief in yourself. And then the other thing that you brought out was that authenticity thing and how when you came from that place of what you really wanted and not what others wanted, or, you know, maybe that's something that's off. That's why I feel like you attracted all this amazing stuff. Because the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is that how many times when we're not in our authenticity, that we also attract toxic situations or things that are not good for us or don't serve us on top of it all, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important to be congruent with who you are, but it's not, it's not easy to do. And I love this whole story about you just having the green card pop (laughs) up. Right. But I also (laughs) think you were ready to see it because had that happened another time in your life, you may have not seen that gift or that manifestation of the gift because right. Like it's perception as well. And I see this happen with people that I work with. It's like, this never happens to me. I never seen that guy before, you know, and, or like when I'm coaching people, people are like, Kim, this never happens to me when I'm home. Did you plant these guys here? I'm like, I don't know that many people. I'm not that powerful. It's because you are radiating an energy that's attracting that, but you're also looking for it. You know, one one thing, one one thing too, just that we can go in this tangent, we can go whatever tangent you want, but I just want to throw in I love it. No, piggyback no. on what you're saying is, I think sometimes, you know, connected to your relationship uh, analogy, sometimes I find that people don't attract a relationship or that. that I don't, I, no guys, I don't, there's no guys. There's no there's one. No I don't guys. Really, yeah, <laughs> but, but but I think sometimes we are so attached to an idea of what we think we want or what we think we should be with or what we think the person should be based on our ego and identity and our personality, which is conditioned by our childhood patterns, trauma, you know, conditioning. And because we get sometimes so attached to this preconceived idea of who we think the person should be, Got to be this tall. It's got to have this hair. It's, got to, it's great to know what you want, but we don't realize that sometimes we can end up limiting and putting limits on the universe. And I just want to say that the universe, the divine intelligence that created you, created me, created all of existence, is bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than what we even think we want for ourselves. And so sometimes we don't even realize that we end up putting limits on life because we're like, mm. it's got to be like this and he's got to look like this and he has to act like this and he has to go to Harvard and he's got to have blue eyes. He's got to have blonde hair. He's got to be brown. He's got to be this. He's got to be a musician. He's got to play the violin. And, and then we get so attached to it. It's great to have an idea, but we get so attached to it that sometimes your soul has a different agenda. Life has a different intention. And then there is sometimes what you think you need but what your soul knows you need. And so I would just tell people, don't get so attached to what you think you want. Get in touch with the feeling of the experience of the love and the connection and the bliss and the joy and the beauty and the, you know how you want to be treated and the feeling and experience. But don't put limitations on this infinite intelligence to manifest it in a package that you might not, that might not fit your nervous system conditioning that might not fit your ego because it can show up and love can show up in infinite ways that may be not what your mind expects. Because to me, love is infinite. True love is infinite. And true love is not necessarily about uh, 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 conditioning you. True love comes to blow you wide open, to take you beyond yourself. True love comes to evolve you as a soul the purpose of love is evolution and that is a whole different thing and so yeah have a sense of what you want get a but but focus on the feeling and the experience in your body don't limit life with its attachments because sometimes it will surprise you and when and, and, and when you truly 
are open. That doesn't mean say, yeah, I'm open to an abuser. No, I'm open to someone who's going to betray. No, it's the feeling of being respected, being loved. But when you are truly open and you're not limiting the package, blue, red, green, then you're completely available to miracles. To me, that is surrender. When you, then you're totally available to miracles. Then, then your soulmate could show up in a freaking like, you know. Uh, white horse. <laughs> white horse walking down the, the street. Then, then, then it could be the, then it can show up, you know, uh, uh, on a plane next to you or yes. in a grocery store or yes. in the most unexpected situation that you don't even realize. We don't even realize that we're not even available. We're not, we're not even open. I remember meeting many years ago, a beautiful woman in a, it was like a, a gas station, you know, a convenience store. She had children and there she was with children. And, you know, you could tell that she was a really great mother. And I could tell that, I think she was a single mother. You could just see she she had the heart, yeah, the, vibe, for these, yeah. the vibe for these kids. And I think women honestly are the heroes of the world and don't get enough credit because, you know, you give birth nine Thank months, you, you know, <laughs> with every single human being was birthed out of you. And then to be honest, you make you make it look easy. Like, yeah, just yeah, I'm just carrying life, I'm giving life, I'm literally creating life, and I'm online, and I'm making phone calls, and I'm running family, and I'm running my business, and popped out a baby, and it's just like, you know, I have I'm a guy, I have, I have a headache, I'm crying. So oh my god, just, by the way, it's not easy. I've done it, been there, done it. But that. full credit <laughs> to you, amazing women. Okay, just yeah. just full credit. So here I am seeing this woman with three kids, and she's buying lottery tickets. She's buying $20 worth of lottery tickets. And I say to her, I really, really, really hope that you win. I hope that you win. Her immediate response is, I'm never going to win. And I'm thinking to myself, why the hell is she buying the lottery tickets? She wasn't even open. And sometimes we play the game of love, of life, of manifestation. And we don't even realize unconsciously we're not even open for whatever reason. We're not actually, we're doing it, we're, we're playing it, we're, we're on the field, but we're not actually truly available. And I think part of surrender, part of manifesting love or anything is openness, true openness and availability to not put limits on life. Like, so I would ask everyone, are you truly, truly, truly open? Or do you have all these limits? Sometimes we're not open because we don't feel worthy. Sometimes we're not open because we're afraid that it might happen. And if we're afraid that it might happen, and then, oh, shit, then, then what? what? Then what? You know, then it's scary. And so I think openness and availability. Surrender is openness and availability. Can we say amen? <laughs> and, and those of you listening, we did not rehearse this beforehand, but like my audience knows a lot of what you just said is so like, my jam, right? Like wow, what I believe cool. is true. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about, I do a lot of flirt workshops. And it, when you look at the definition of flirting in the dictionary, it's to behave as though you're attracted to someone without the serious intention of dun, 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 an outcome. Mm -hmm. And so what happens in dating, what happens in love, we get so attached to the outcome. And that's also attached to fears that we have yeah. or things that we think might happen. So we're so riddled with anxiety of what might happen in the future, yeah. or we're tied down by things that have happened in the past yeah. that we're not present. Yeah. And so much of dating is being present, is being open, is being connected. And so like you just nailed it for, you know, people listening who want to find love and dating. And by the way, that lady that you described, he must be six feet tall. He must, she, I, I have a name for her. She's called the uh -huh. list lady in the my list. dating. The list lady, you know, the, the list that goes out so long that no one can make all the qualifications that she's looking for, but really what's on the list is the things that she fears that she may not have or haven't had before. And so she's trying to protect herself, right, by having all these qualifications. But by the way, only like a small percentage of the population is over six feet tall, ladies, just so you know. Like, like these are things that are not to be focused on, but, you uh, know. <laughs> is it okay if I share how my parents met? Because this, 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 this might... It might inspire some 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 of some of the listeners. Some of the Please do, because I want to so, talk about how this all relates to the, the so, dating yeah, world. And, yeah. and it relates to surrender too. And yeah. it's all it's, it's in totally interconnected. So my, so here's an elaborate story that I'm gonna shorten. Okay. Uh, but but this is really how my mother met my father. And the key to 
it happened. So imagine my father, he's from Ghana, but from, you know, born on a concrete floor in the middle of nowhere, in the bush, you know, no electricity. Uh, and so when my father is approximately eight years old, nine years old, he starts in Ghana in the 40s, he starts having visions of a Japanese spiritual teacher. Like, a, imagine a Japanese Yogananda kind of guy, right? right, the, guy, right. the guy's name is Masaharu Taniguchi. He starts having these visions of this Japanese teacher. He didn't know who he was. And the guy would teach him about life and the mysteries of life and, 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 and the nature of reality and the cosmos in his, in, in, in his dreams. And when my father was 15, he had, a, he had a spiritual religious experience in Ghana where he gave his life to God and he started healing people. A miracle man, which, which I mentioned earlier. And so he would put his hands on people. People started getting healed as a 15-year-old kid. Straight gift from the divine. Literally no training. It just happened to him. And so he starts building 17, 18, 19 years old churches. His first churches, they explode. From, from 18 to 37, he built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. Hundreds of thousands of followers. Has a, gets married, has some kids. His first wife dies, basically. And now he's a single, single man, single, you know, single father, uh, taking care of his kids. He goes into, this is in the 70s, right? He goes into a store in Ghana, in Accra. A book kind of falls off the shelf or he sees a book, something that just kind of stands out. And he sees the book and he opens the book. And on the back of the book, he sees the face of this Japanese guru who would come to him in his dreams since he was eight years old. He didn't know that this, that this guy was real. He just thought it was in his imagination. So he's so shocked that he writes to this man. And he says, you have been coming to me in my dreams since I was eight years old. And like, you're my spiritual father. And I'm shocked and I, I want to meet you. So this man, this was before internet and all of that stuff, writes to my father, sends his son-in-law, basically his son, to Japan in the 70s on a plane to meet my father. She checks my father's work, so impressed with what my father's built. My father's been to India at this stage, become very spiritual, very mystical, very metaphysical. So the, the teachings are in alignment. The son-in-law invites my father to go to Japan to meet the guru and go on an entire huge arena lecture tour with the guru, okay, in Japan. So my father accepts, my, my father says, look, um, I'm, 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 I'm ready for a wife. And so uh, please pray for me. Because I'm, I'm open to a wife. The, the, the son-in-law says, absolutely. My father gets ready to go to Japan. The son-in-law goes back to Japan, reports to the guru, gives a lecture. In the son-in-law's lecture, he announces the tour dates for my father and the guru in Japan. My mother grew up in this spiritual organization. Her, father, her teacher, her parents' teacher is this Japanese guru. So she is in the audience when the son-in-law is announcing the dates. She's 28, 29 at this time. You know, in Japan, if you're not married at that time. By right, she's like an old maid already. She's like yes. a, oh, her life is over, forget <laughs> over. that. So she's 28, 29. She's been proposed. She's not feeling the connection with anyone. And, and, and so she made a prayer. Her prayer was this. I invite everyone to make this prayer. Her prayer was simply universe, God. I will marry anyone you direct me to marry. Just make it clear. Basically, I completely surrender myself to the highest will. Just show me what my highest destiny is with my soulmate. I am completely open, totally available. Just make it clear when I meet this person. She's in the audience hearing about my father. She says she felt chills in her body. This is your husband. She then gets my father's address, writes to my father. My father happens to be in London. A letter comes to him. He's meditating. The day before, he feels the sense that my wife's going to come to me. He goes to the mailbox in London. He's in transit for a few months before Japan. He's in transit. He goes to the mailbox. He sees an envelope. It's from Japan. Before he opens the envelope, he's like, it's from Japan. I don't know anyone in Japan. This is my wife. She feels this intuition. 
opens the letters from my mother. My mother speaks no English. My father speaks no Japanese, completely different cultures. My mother is as Japanese as you can get. My father is as African and blacker than my t-shirt, completely opposite cultures, wow. can't speak the same language. She gets a translator, her sister, to write the letter. Nothing romantic. It just says, looking forward to hearing you speak in Japan. My father says, this is my wife. He writes to my mother. Wait, she didn't even flirt or anything. No, no flirting. In those days, Japanese don't flirt. Just looking forward no, to right. hearing you speak in Japan. This is my wife. He writes to her and he says, would you be, and my father's pretty bold. Would you be open to moving to Ghana? She writes back, translated by her sister, if it's God's will, I will move. He writes back and says, yes, it's God's will. Marry me. She writes back, and I'm shortening the letters, but she writes back and says, I will marry you. I accept. They agree to get married. They haven't seen a picture of each other yet. You want to talk about complete, like, like extreme wow. surrender. Extreme surrender to the soul knowing. Then they meet. My father meets her for 45 minutes for the first time in Japan in a park with chaperones because it's old school, not allowed by yourself. And they look at each other. They can't have a conversation. They nod. They agree. They're getting married. My father goes on a six-week lecture tour with the guru. Now they've agreed to get married on a certain date. I think it was June the 23rd. My father has no money by Japanese standards. You know, he's from Africa. She doesn't have. And in Japan, you can't marry a Japanese bride as a foreigner, not throw a wedding with a kimono. I mean, like really do it right to honor the parents. So again, he surrenders. Okay, trust the universe, trust the universe. At the end of his lecture tour, he goes to his mailbox in Japan. There is an envelope. He opens the envelope. There is seven, he opens the envelope, there's $7,000 in the 70s in, in, in USD, in cash. All it says in this envelope, is this is for your wedding. That's it. He didn't tell anyone he needed money. This is for your wedding. They end up getting married, doing a ceremony, went on honeymoon and moved back to Ghana. And then I was born, you know, a year later. And so all I'm saying is wow. the universe is bigger than you. When you truly surrender, when you're truly open, when you're truly available, when you know who you are and what you are, which is love itself, knowing it's not something you have to seek and find, but you just have to remove the mental, emotional stories and blockages that prevent you from realizing that you are love and you completely surrender and you're open and you just cultivate a life that you love and live in a way that is full of love and start expressing the love that you are, you become magnetic. And so for me, my mother, to me, the key to her manifestation was in her surrender and it didn't come in the package she expected you know they did and not that it was easy and romantic yeah. i mean there were different challenges but her soul was in alignment with my father's soul in their own sort of cosmic destiny and i think when we surrender you know sometimes we're afraid that if i really surrender you know, we have this idea that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender means, you know, you're going to give up on your dreams, that that you won't manifest your dreams, that you're going to get less than, you're going to end up with someone that's going to be not what you want. And I'm actually saying, no, surrender is the password to freedom. Surrender is the most powerful thing that you can do. I'm saying that when you surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more? Beyond your wildest expectations of what you could even have planned with your logic, with your personality and your mind. And so to me, that's the magic, you know, the magic of surrender. Magic is beyond what you could even imagine for yourself. My mother got beyond what she could have imagined for herself, you know? And, and, and so most of us, we want the magic, but we don't want to surrender. And to me, the password to the miracles, the password to manifest is the degree to which you want the magic is the, is the degree to which you have to surrender. And so my invitation is that you surrender. And surrender doesn't mean sitting there doing nothing. Surrender doesn't right. mean doesn't yeah. mean staying at home right. and not leaving your house and just watching TV and just waiting for someone to show up. Surrender is not an abdication of responsibility at all. It means feeling your truth, letting go, living in trust, being fully available and open, doing everything in your part without attachment, you know, living with openness and curiosity and availability. Mm -hmm. This way you're open to the universe showing up and meeting you in your point of action.
you know, you should write a book about this thing, magic of surrender of some <laughs> sort, <laughs> which I want you to talk about in just one second. But yeah, what a, I was going to ask you for your parting words of wisdom, but I didn't have to ask you because this whole yeah. episode has been that. Wow. And, and I just love, you know, that story. And it's such a testament to not only um, being open and really surrendering to possibilities, but making things happen as well through action. And yes. I think it is all of those things that you talk about that really does create love in the end when you do, you know, use that surrender. So whether you're, you know, the princess on the white horse or um, your dad in Ghana, like it, love can happen really. So please share with everybody how they can find you sure. and get your book. And yeah. I'll have to have you back on for part two. There's Great. just too much here. Let's do it. Anytime, anytime you want. It's been a real, real pleasure, a real joy. I love your energy. And Thank I really you. hope everyone just, just, just found value from today's conversation in some way that they can take away, you know? Um, yeah. People can get the book that the magic of surrender book is out right now, uh, May the 3rd, it comes out in paperback. And so I'm doing something special. On May the 7th, I'm doing a free virtual online event. And so if you buy the Magic of Surrender book, if you pre-order it before May the 3rd, you get access to a whole bunch of free gifts. And also you get to attend the live virtual online seminar as my guest. It's called Reinvent Life. I'm going to what I'm going to teach people how to reinvent themselves, the seven phases of reinventing yourself, reinventing your life, letting go of the past, reconnecting with your power and giving your gifts to the world. And so you can go to the website, www.kutblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar. So go to Amazon, go to that website enter your name, email and receipt that gives you access to the, to the live event, a whole bunch of free gifts. Uh, yeah. Say hi on Instagram. I'm reachable on Instagram. Say hi on Facebook. Um, my main website, kublaxon.com. If people feel like going for a deeper dive twice a year, I do an intensive seminar, 12 days in Bali called boundless plus Bali. So that's www.boundlessplusbali.com. I want to come. Anytime. Hey, Come hey on. do you need anybody to do makeovers as part of the reinvention process? I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, it's easy to find him and I'll have all your links in the thank show. Notes, you, so it's really you. easy for people, but thank you again. And this was amazing. Just amazing. Thank I you. think you helped a lot of people today. Thanks for having me. And so thanks for you joining us today, you listening. This has been the Charisma Quotient, and I'm your host, Kimmy Seltzer, of course. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And if you want to know more, make sure you go to my site, KimmySeltzer.com. And if you are having a hard time surrendering in your love life, hop on a call with me, and we'll just you know, map out a plan for you so that you can find that path to love. And just click the link you see in the show notes to schedule that buy the book that Coot was talking about, The Magic of Surrender. It's so powerful. And who knows, like maybe your life will change and you'll come on this podcast to talk about it. And remember, working on you is working on your dating life. That's all for now. Yeah.